0: Pepperidge Farm, Milano.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, here to let you know that my podcast, Next Question with me, Katie Couric, is back for its second season. I'll be diving into some big issues, like this country's devastating maternal mortality rate, the rise of astrology, and a little thing called the presidential election. Listen to Next Question. It comes out every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Welcome to Stuff
0: You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello oh, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And recently we got some mail from Sarah and Amber and they sent us these lovely handmade paper magnolias and some necklaces and they also sent us a book by Edward Kritzler called Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean, which of course meant that we had to read it. Created quite a stir on Facebook. It really too. did. We were very excited. We put a picture of us in our, in our magnolia, with our magnolias in our hair wearing our if you haven't seen well, it yet. Well, and people were really enthusiastic about the Jewish pirate well, idea. Well, who wouldn't be? So I wanted awesome. to do a podcast just about Jewish pirates, but we decided it didn't make a lot of sense unless you had the background, which is really interesting. So we're going to do some background followed by some brief biographies. It's almost like a two-part episode in one. Exactly. And we've talked about expeditions of discovery before, you know, the human drive to explore, to conquer, to be first. And the age of discovery is one really fabulous example, the period from the 15th to 17th centuries when Europeans went far and wide in search of new lands and treasures. but There's a little discussed group amongst these explorers that had a different mission. It wasn't to find gold and cinnamon, but to escape the Inquisition and the anti-Semitic horrors of Europe. And these people were, of course, European Jews. And we're going to give you a little bit of their story. Okay, so we've talked about some
0: of this in our podcast on the Reconquista, but we're going to recap for you in case you haven't heard that episode yet. So if you've ever heard the term Sephardic Jews and wondered what uh, Sephard was, it was an outpost of the Roman Empire in what later became Spain. And at the end of the 14th century, there were 500,000 Jews in Sephard, making it the largest Jewish community outside of Palestine. And
1: that stat is from that pirate book. A lot of this uh, information is going to be from there. So, yeah, you should definitely pick up a copy. Again, it's Edward Kritzler's book, Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean. And although Jews had called Sephard their home for a long time, it wasn't seen that way by the rulers of the land throughout the centuries, Titus, the Visigoths, the Moors. Uh, But in feudal Spain, Jews occupied high society. Things took a sharp, sharp turn for the worse in the 14th century. Uh, During the infamous massacre of 1391, Jews were accused of blood libel, using the blood of Christian children for their religious rituals and also being the cause of the Black Plague and the man who sparked this horror and these attacks was the friar Ferrant Martinez of Seville and you should remember his name because his accusations resulted in the deaths of 100,000 Jews who were ordered to convert or die many chose death
0: so skipping ahead a little bit to 1492 queen isabella of spain uh, or of Castile and Aragon, orders the Edict of Expulsion. And we talked about that in the Reconquista podcast, but another 100,000 Jews were forced to leave Spain and the rest converted and were known as conversos. Uh, Sometimes they converted publicly, but still maintain their own religious practices.
1: Right. Known as new Christians um, and also crypto-Jews. Under Isabella the Spanish Inquisition began and her inquisitor general saw to the burnings of 9,000 Jews at the stake. By the early 1600s there were very few places in Europe where Jews were allowed to be. So where was there to go? Uh for one, there's
0: a whole other continent really? across the ocean, the New World. The New World. So a lot of them went as new Christians or conversos with high hopes for this new land and hopefully a new future where there was more tolerance.
1: Right, because of course 1492 didn't just mark the beginning of the expulsion of the Jews from Spain. It's also the year Ferdinand and Isabella gave their approval to Christopher Columbus's mission to find that elusive route to the east. And Jews supported this mission. You know, perhaps he could find them a safe place to make their home. And also, in that book, apparently Christopher Columbus came from Jewish ancestry, which I had no idea, and I haven't finished reading it. I have to be perfectly honest, so I can't, I can't give Elaborate you the entire more story. No, I, I would love to, but it's simply not possible at the moment. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. There's another person we're going to talk about later in this there podcast is. who you also Surprising didn't know was Jewish. Figure. Yes. So Christopher Columbus, of course, didn't discover America, but he did discover all sorts of places, and some of them became Jewish havens, like the island of Jamaica. But Jews also dominated commerce in the New World. They're the ones who set up all the trade networks, who leased the ships, who introduced letters of exchange and credit. And their religious beliefs were ignored so long as they were useful. And once, say, you figured out the trade networks for yourself, you could go back to, you know, inviting the Inquisition to come visit. But Spain was pretty much the most powerful country in the world at this time. And the hatred that persecuted Jews had for the country made them an attractive ally for all of Spain's enemies.
0: Spain had a lot of
1: enemies. Yes, a (laughs) lot, a lot of enemies. They could all work together to destroy the Spanish naval fleet. And Because they knew all about ships, trade routes, and credit, these Jewish merchants knew where everyone was going and what they had in their ships. So that would make them perfect for one particular line of work I have in mind. Piracy, perhaps? Yes, it's a pirate's life for me. So a a tiny little history of Jewish pirates. Our first mention of them comes from Jewish historian Flavius Josephus in Jewish Antiquities, uh, in 63 B.C., Jewish leader Hyrcanus accuses Aristobulus of piracy in front of Pompey. They're arguing over a leadership position. And our source for that was Herod the Great's secretary, who told the story to Josephus. So for some reason, that's considered a, a reliable source, I guess, for information, although I wouldn't really want to trust Herod the Great's secretary yeah, don't with anything know.
0: else. <laughs> so, I mean, if that's our start of... Jewish pirates though, it, it continues long after that. And it makes sense too. I mean, we, we already mentioned this extensive trade network and sort of the inside knowledge that a lot of people had about who was trading what, where it was going and when. But it also makes sense that people who are forced to be outlaws, some of them might turn to a, an outlaw career
1: where you can actually make a buck and maybe stay alive. So the first famous Jewish pirate we're going to discuss is named Sinan, and he was Barbarossa's second-in-command and his favorite captain, and also a giant pain in the Holy Roman Emperor Charles's life. Mm -hmm. And with 100 ships, he occupied Tunis for Suleiman, which gave Suleiman control of the entire Mediterranean. Suleiman might be
0: a familiar name, too, for those of you— After the Rock
1: Solana podcast, So when Charles offered Barbarossa North Africa in exchange for leaving Suleiman and joining him, Barbarossa made his point by cutting off the messenger's head. So we're going to go ahead and take that as a no.
0: But Sinan also governed Algiers and commanded the Turkish Navy and did away with most of the Spanish fleet in 1538. But he's also known for acts of mercy. It's because of him that the Christians of Tunis weren't all murdered by the enraged Barbarossa. So, I mean, for somebody who himself is persecuted, he
1: seems to be remarkably tolerant. Our next one is Samuel Palash, the pirate rabbi of Holland, and he was the son of a rabbi. He was born and raised in Morocco in the Jewish ghetto in Fez, which was home to 50,000 Jews. And I didn't know before I read this book that Jews were in Morocco before the Arabs brought Islam there. I had no idea. Neither did I. But he wasn't content to stay. And in fact, he and his brother Joseph started making it past the walls of the ghetto at night to help raid ships in the Strait of Gibraltar. But he got got a reputation as, you know, a capable and daring young man, and the sultan chose him as his trade rep. Samuel and his brother soon made use of the position to try to sell intelligence to other countries, but they were double agents. And in general, I think maybe just enjoyed the lying more than what they were actually trying to do. They told Spain that they'd sell them information about Morocco, and then told France they would sell them information about Spain. What they really wanted to do was find a safe haven for the Jews and a place where crypto-Jews could drop the Christian mask and go back to celebrating their religion in peace. And they decided on one particular place, which had said it would be tolerant of religion. Yeah, they hear that Holland is open to
0: other religions, and so they make their home there. It turns out it's more like, look the other way, than we welcome you with open arms, but uh, they had a community that established there and the Jews in Amsterdam. And in 1603, they celebrated the Day of Atonement, and that was the first Jewish worship
1: service in Holland. Samuel also made alliances between the Netherlands and Morocco, which is pretty cool since one was a Christian nation and one Muslim. And in general, through all that he did, tried to get back at Spain any way he could. They had, after all, sent the Inquisition after him. In 1614, he began command of a Moroccan fleet and went after Spanish ships, trading arms for sugar, spice, and diamonds, and teamed up with the Dutch, the Moors, and other Jews to combat their common foe. One ship was adorned with a phoenix and had a kosher cook aboard, and he was pirating in the very last years of his life. He died in 1616 in The Hague.
0: Our next entry is Moses Cohen Enriquez.
1: I love the name. I think
0: it's maybe the best name. He pulled off one of history's largest heists, and that went down in 1628, along with the Dutch West India Company's Admiral Hein. They both hated Spain, as so many people in this podcast have. Um, I know. Do you think we're getting biased after the last
1: couple episodes?
0: I don't know. We're going to have to... Figure out some. We're gonna think about this pro later. Spain yeah. um, topics, topics <laughs> to counterbalance this a little bit. But um, Enriquez hated Spain because of the country's attitude towards Jews. Hein hated it because he'd been a galley slave. That's a pretty understandable hatred, I'd say. Um, so guess who ships? They decide to attack.
1: Oh, Spain! Spain. They boarded them off Cuba and made off with enough silver and gold to total around a billion dollars in today's money. that I mean, does that put our art heist to shame? I think it does. Any
0: article we have about diamond heist or art heist,
1: nothing is getting near a billion dollars. No, not so much. Enriquez settled on an island off Brazil and was never caught, even though I think people knew where he was. Perhaps he was just an enemy they didn't want to deal with. Maybe. So our final entry is Jean Lafitte, the Corsair. And he's from a different time period um, than the rest of them, but he's also a much more famous pirate and one that many people don't know was Jewish. So we decided we had to end our list with him. He was born around 1780, and he came from Conversos. His family left Spain after his grandfather was executed during the Inquisition. And he set up shop in New Orleans. You could come to his family's blacksmith shop to deliver your smuggled goods and slaves to someone who would pay for them.
0: He lived in islands in the swamps around New Orleans with his men, and he would attack Spanish ships on commission from Latin American countries. But he wasn't all scoundrel. He he had this sort of patriotic streak, it seems. When the British offered him money to help them attack New Orleans in 1814, he instead passed on the information to the American army. He wasn't trusted, and the bay where he was located was still raided. He made another attempt and spoke to General Andrew Jackson, who promised a pardon in exchange for his aid. So I think this we mentioned the Battle of New Orleans a little bit in one of the 1812 podcasts, right. but I think it's interesting. This pirate has a Jean role Lecitte in the whole was thing. There.
1: <laughs> he led 1,000 men in the War of 1812 and fought bravely. Uh, but then he went back to being arrested. He left New Orleans for Galveston, Texas, where he set up a new colony for his privateering men. And he was left alone until some of his followers attacked American ships, at which point he sensibly departed from Galveston. And we don't know how he met his end. But speaking of endings, we have a bit of a sad one today. Uh, This will be my very last episode of Stuff You Missed in History class I am moving on to a new opportunity, and while I'm very excited about that, it is incredibly hard to say goodbye to the podcast. Reading your emails and letters and opening all your presents and hearing your stories and seeing your pictures and having you tell us all about why you love history and the things you're passionate about in your lives, that's been the highlight of my day for a long time now, so... Thank you for listening, and I will very much miss talking to you every week.
0: And Katie, it's been such a joy to host the
1: podcast with you. I'm going to miss you, Sarah. <laughs>
0: I miss you we'll, we, we better not go on, or we might start tearing up yeah. here. <laughs> there, may have,
1: there may have been a little tearing up. I had a, a small surprise party with our, our video team. I'm currently wearing a tiara under my headphones. So, <laughs> so picture that if you can. Um, but don't worry, Stuff you missed in history class is not over. There is another fabulous host who will. be taking my place i promise you will like him or her it's a surprise and a special guest host there will be a special guest host who i know you'll like um but i don't think you'll like anyone quite as much as me (laughs) um but thank you that's the end of our episode for today we'll
0: miss you i i'll
1: miss (laughs) y'all we of course have a twitter feed at missed in history we've also got a facebook fan page And you should always make a visit to our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics,
0: visit howstuffworks.com.
1: And be sure to check out
0: the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. This is Danny Shapiro, host of the hit podcast, Family Secrets. I hope you'll join us for some incredible conversations about family, identity, and what happens to both when the secrets that have been kept from us and the secrets we keep finally come to light. Listen and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: The Only Way is Through, a new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood. The reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just perform. Listen to The Only Way is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.